Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. See them, but they are out there. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. Our show is brought to you by Renner's Warehouse. Thanks to them. Blessed to uh, have them as a part of our show. Ryan Mudd, blessed to have him behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight. I say it every night. I'm blessed beyond measure. I hope you recognize that you are as well. If you want to have a conversation with me about that further, Twitter, jmartzone. DM's always wide open to have it. Some of you have reached out. I'm trying to get back to some of you that, that really wanted to try and connect with me on that level this week. And I've uh, fired out a couple of those messages today. It means a lot that you would take what I'm saying to heart. And hopefully what I'm saying back to you is is worthy of the time that you spent to, to say something to me. I also want to thank everybody that came out last night to the Jonathan Hutton uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society event and evening with Amy Adams, Strunk, and John McClain. It was tremendous. This first time I've been to the Bell Tower. It was awesome. Didn't matter that the weather was what it was. Martin's Barbecue, I know that full well because I hosted Monday Night Titans all year with Mark Mariani and Jim Wyatt, so we got to experience that food every week, but absolutely awesome. But there were a couple of conversations that I had with just folks that pulled me aside that wanted to say something kind or just wanted to bend my ear about one thing or another. That stuff means so much. It's never going to feel normal to me to have people recognize me or recognize my voice or want to engage me in a, in a conversation like that. It is my pleasure and my privilege and my honor to be asked to speak to you or, or just to shake your hand or whatever. It was awesome to get to know some of you last night and to meet you and just to put a name to a face in some cases and, or a face to a name, those that tweet. And I met a few of you there, and that was awesome. So continue to tweet me at jmartzone, and I will uh, let you have my musings, which will be important this coming week because I won't have any shows because Titans Radio has been working so hard, and I can't wait to hear what they have in store next week all right when all else fails in this life the first place that we turn of the last places at least is our gut when none of the numbers are adding up when the occurrences on the field or on the court or in this case i guess on the ice don't make sense when the logic is out that window that's when you just kind of have to you know bird box your way through that joint you got to put your hands out to try and find some sense of some level of balance while wearing a blindfold. And today of all days, honestly, what I really want to do is talk about the greatest redemption story in history. And no, that's not Tiger Woods. It's not UVA. It's not Tony Canigliero. It's not even a sports story. And you know what? I will say this. Welcome to Good Friday, ladies and gentlemen. But to the smaller point of sports, sometimes you just don't have anything to back an opinion up or everything that you find tends to go against where you find yourself from a gut perspective. And that brings us to Preds stars game five tomorrow, early puck drop 2 PM here in Nashville. And in a tie series, my impeccable and rudimentary math skills tell me it's two, two. And that means it is a best of three from this point forward. Seven games, two plus two equals four. This is why I host a radio show. And in a defensive series, one where goals have been at a premium at least until the first period for Dallas on Wednesday night, 
I'm going gut. I don't feel like either one of these two teams is going to win two in a row after losing one. It could end in six either way. My prediction before the series was Preds in six, and you know what? It still is. I still believe in this team, at least in this series. But that's really not based on anything I've watched on the ice during the first four games. And what I just said about neither winning game six and seven after dropping five means something really simple. It means whoever wins tomorrow is going to win the series. And there are so many things that leave you really uneasy about what's going to happen in these three games or perhaps maybe these two games. Pecorine was more than just mortal on Wednesday, but he was way behind the eight ball because the shaky defense we saw in the early stages of this series somehow got worse and he dealt with a trio of early power plays. I think Chris Mason said on the broadcast during the game that if Pekka had really been on, he might have only given up three goals instead of four. But that's how much onus he put on Pekka in that game. I put a little bit more there. But every single one of those power plays, the Stars converted into a goal. That's an incredibly difficult circumstance for 35 to be put in. But he really wasn't good either. And you can argue maybe Soros should have started. But it's pretty rare to see a starting goaltender pulled in the postseason to start a game. Doesn't happen all that often in sports. That said, though, at 2-0, maybe you make that move. At 3-0, you definitely make that move. At 4-0, that's when they actually made the move. So last night, I'm sitting there watching a little of Nets Sixers at Barclays after I got home from the bell tower. And I was listening to Charles Barkley after the game, making a point that he could not believe how little energy that home crowd had for Brooklyn. And also how little energy the home team had in a game that you thought they could win going in because Joel Embiid wasn't even going to play. And it was a tie series. They'd already won one. So tomorrow at Bridgestone, I'm not going to say it's the same thing because I think it's going to be super loud and everybody's going to be really energetic. But there is no question that the Nashville Predators flat out did not show up on Wednesday night. Maybe they already flew back to Nashville and didn't. they weren't actually in Dallas. And that was a bunch of Caspers out there. That was a bunch of Spectres. And it actually were not Predators on the ice on Wednesday night. There's nothing else that I can say here. You, can't, you can try to dance around this, but this was a truly atrocious performance with almost no redeeming qualities. And I would say it more than likely made most Preds fans angry than apathetic in this case because you know this team is better than they showed in that game. Now, we expected some inconsistency because we've watched this team all season long, but not showing up at all in a playoff game and what some of the teams said after the fact, after the loss, that's completely different. That is something on another level of unacceptable. And I'm going to go back, and I said this yesterday, and I'm going to say it again. Roman Yossi said this, and I kind of went after him about this. And I went after the comment, not the guy. It's not about him. It's about this mentality that this is just one game. Ladies and gentlemen, only in the dumbest, most mind-numbing sense is that accurate. I know that sounds rough. I'm not saying he's dumb, and that's why this irks me, because this statement is ridiculous, and he's a smart guy. Technically, yes, it's one game, but it's one of either four, five, six, or seven in a seven-game playoff series. It's not one of 82 regular season games. These mean more. These playoff games, these are the ones that get guys traded, get dudes fired, get dudes paid, build up fan bases, build up expectations, sell season tickets, sell merchandise, 
All of that stuff. One of 82. Okay, one of 82 is not a lot. I have a cell phone here with a calculator on it. I'm going to divide one by 82 because I'm not going to try to do live math here. It's 182nd is 182, by the way, or one of 82. But 182nd is 1.2% of a season. So there we agree. Just one game, okay, 1.2% of a season, that's not a lot. Even though divisions or sometimes even postseason spots actually do come down to one game. Look how many game 163s we seem to be getting in baseball these last few seasons. But I'm going to do one of seven now. One of seven is 14.3% of a season. And folks, that's even if you get seven games. Here in this series, it could mean one of six, right? All right, so let me do one of six. 16.7%. Or I'm going to go even further. How about this? At 2-1, making it 2-2, that really means it's truly one of four before that puck drops on Wednesday night. One of four, I don't have to do that math. Even I can figure this one out. That's 25%. That's not one game. That this is one game mentality, that's what gets you beat. You don't have to sit there and lament the loss and go, woe is me, but it had better leave you frustrated. And Yossi did say that they were angry, but then immediately caveated that with, yeah, it's just one game, though. But it's not. I just proved that. You've gotten nothing from the second line. Nobody's stepping up that feels like a leader on this team. And Pekka still has that pesky feast or famine playoff persona out there a lot of times because he doesn't get help consistently enough and we can observe that so changes are needed here and the good news is according to some of the reports from practice today it looks like that might actually be the case for a change reading Alex Doherty's piece of course he joins me pretty regularly as of late over at A to Z sports Nashville.com he said that the lines looked awfully different today in practice and this is the kind of thing that Peter Laviolette has got to find a way to do. If you can ding him for something over this past run for sure, maybe the first thing on that list is being too stubborn to change things up outside of the net. That second line, this from the article, has created exactly one even strength goal. Granlin, Smith, Turris has just basically been useless. So here's how it looked today in practice. Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson, nothing changing with the Jofa line, and it really shouldn't, although I've got a pretty stunning statistic at the end of this show to stick around for. Second line, the way it looked today, Granlund, Colton Sissons, and Callie Yarncrow. That gives you some speed. It gives you more ability on the forecheck, and it's an aggressive line. I like potentially what that could look like. Third line, Austin Watson, Nick Benino, and then moving Craig Smith to that line, which is intriguing and we'll see whether or not Craig Smith can add anything to a mediocre group in terms of scoring potential so far this postseason. Rocco Grimaldi did not practice today. You still expect he probably plays. It was a maintenance day, according to Peter Laviolette. I don't know exactly what that means, but I expect he'll be on the ice tomorrow. Brian Boyle practice looks like he probably plays. Wayne Simmons did as well. He might not, but Boyle will almost definitely play. Then you look at Salamaki or perhaps Gaudreau, and this is per Robbie Stanley, and then Kyle Turris moved down to the fourth line if what we saw today is what it looks like tomorrow on the ice. And you have to think if you're Kyle Turris, you'd better realize it is time to do something because if you don't, you might be moved to the fifth line. You know what the fifth line is? That's the line I play on, except at this radio station. 
Predators got to win. I think it's a must-win game. I know that sounds insane because on its face, it isn't literally a must-win game. You could win six and seven. Do you believe that the Nashville Predators are going to win back-to-back if they lose tomorrow at home? Same thing with the Stars. I don't think the Stars are going to do it either. That's my overarching point here is that whoever's tomorrow is going to win this series, whether or not it's in six or whether or not it's in seven. I'm sticking by my prediction. I believe that the Nashville Predators will win this series in six. I believe they win tomorrow by two goals. I've got it 3-1 Preds. When we come back, I'm not going to be on next week, so i got to tell you what I think about the Titans and the NFL draft. I'll do it next. 615-737-1045 if you want to join me. 737-1045. Back in the flash. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5. is on little Dirk Commissar for you after the fire. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. You can reach me there. You can also call us if you want at 615-737-1045. We're brought to you by Renner's Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renner's Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. So next week, we're going to inundate you with NFL Draft Talk here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm going to try and paint a picture for you here of you being just buried under just, do you see Wally? Have you ever seen Wally? Like all of the, the garbage and just the mess from that film. Picture you and then that mess all on top of you. And all that mess that's on top of you is NFL draft coverage. And that's what we got for you here on 104.5 The Zone next week on, across all the shows. Wake Up Zone, Midday 180, 3HL, absolutely all of it. And the reason why, Sprint, I was out at uh, Murfreesboro location, 1715 Old Fort Parkway from 2 to 4, met a few of you out there as well. Ford, Tennessee Highway Safety Office, and Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery with many locations across Tennessee. Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery is your destination for appliances, including the efficient Whirlpool-connected steam wall oven. This draft stage, if you haven't seen it, is absurd downtown. Now, downtown's going to be shut down. A lot of people think they're just going to be all these bars and stuff to go party at. Nah, nah. The NFL's got some stuff on lockdown. It's going to look very, very different around the Music City, but it's going to be fun. We will all be down there broadcasting, uh, doing work as we do throughout the NFL draft. CC Winans is going to do the national anthem with Moon Taxi, and that means something to me. And someday I look forward to telling you why Moon Taxi being a part of that means something to me. That night is t- is not tonight, but it will come at some point in the near future. But next week, like I said, inundated with draft talk, just buried underneath oh, the weight of it. You can't lift it up above you. So just endure it and find rest in it. You're going to hear from Greg Cosell. You're going to hear from Mike Dettelier. You're going to hear from our own Coach Mack. You'll hear from Mike Keith, from Rhett Bryan, from, of course, all the hosts here, so many others. But most of you, if you have one question right now, is what are the Tennessee Titans going to do at 19? And so I've got an answer for you because I won't be on next week, so I've kind of got to get my thoughts out now. Actually, i got two answers for you. And the first is this. I ain't got the foggiest idea. How about that? How about that for analysis? That is why I'm paid, folks, to tell you what I just told you. I ain't got the foggiest idea. Guess what? Nor do they. Now, they've got a short list of guys that they'd love to draft, But who knows who's sitting there at 19? 
Who knows whether or not a deal sounds too good to be true to move them in either direction, up or down, out of that 19 spot. We just don't know right now. A whole lot of people are going to act like they know, but this is the truth about the NFL draft process. Even the McShays and the Kuypers and Mayock before he decided to go do this thing with the Raiders and all the guys that do this for a living and talk about the NFL draft. Do you realize that they are less accurate than meteorologists? And I'm not talking about Channel 5. Channel 5 does an impeccable job. But generally, meteorologists are wrong more than they're right a lot of times. But they are like Nostradamus compared to draft experts who will get like four right. This thing never goes chalk, which means you're seeing a lot of smoke. You're hearing a lot of smoke. And it's what you buy. And I'll talk about this Raiders story coming up as well. But you just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm talking to Dave McGinnis earlier this week. And you can always infer from now on when I say this sentence, quote, I was talking to Dave McGinnis, unquote, that I learned something new that made me far smarter than I was before I actually engaged in that conversation. But Coach Mack told me a story because that's how he likes to teach. He talks about his experience. And usually he'll, he can show me just as much in a mistake he made than in anything else. And I think that's a really good lesson for anybody. I had someone DM me earlier this week kind of wanting to engage in one of those conversations that I talk about off the top of the show. Something I always invite at J Mart Zone, even if my response is delayed. And what I'm going to say to him in response, he's going through some tough stuff in his life. And he wants to trust in the design through it all. And the answer I've always been told is that he works so much more and you learn so much more in the valleys than on the mountaintops. So Dave McGinnis, when he was a head coach in Arizona, made a first-round draft mistake. Like a lot of guys, or probably everybody has, if they've actually been lucky enough to be in the league long enough. I'm not going to mention the player's name. There's no reason to do that. But in this case, Coach Mack in his war room picked based solely on need. They needed a specific position they got tunnel vision, saw nothing else, and then made a mistake. And he said, he fessed up to it. He said, I took a guy, you know, we hadn't fully vetted. He was a two-time conference player of the year and at a really good conference. But they took him, I think, in the top 10. And he was a total bust. He had drug issues. He had off-field trouble. And then you look at some of the names that were drafted after that that were still on the board for them to take at that spot. One guy might stand out. I believe that gentleman's name was Ed Reed. So when I asked Coach Mack what the Titans are going to do, he said he had no idea, and he laid out that story for me. So as you're going to sit there and you're going to watch everything unfold next week, you know what the Titans need. You watch the team. You know where they have fewer holes to patch or maybe where they already purchased some spackle and they're better than they were or they're actually good there. So I see Daniel Jeremiah and Gil Brandt doing a conference call for the NFL yesterday both talking about wide receivers like DK Metcalf of Ole Miss or his buddy A.J. Brown, also of Ole Miss. Apparently, if you've got initials, you're a good receiver at Ole Miss this past season. And then I see Paul Kaharski write what I believe, which is no, they don't need to go wide receiver for sure at 19. What they need is the guys they already have to actually live up to their draft positions. Corey Davis at five. Uh, Taewon Taylor. And I, I think Adam Humphreys is going to be a really good addition both as a slot guy who can make the tough grab in the middle of the field where Marcus, we know, likes to operate, doesn't like throwing outside the numbers for whatever reason, and also potentially is a strong kick returner, which this team desperately needs. So if I had to predict, here's my second answer. The first, if you recall from a couple of minutes ago, was I have no idea. The second is they need to go defense. They could go offensive line. I'm not sold on Conklin right now. 
but this team has got to find a way to generate a more consistent pass rush. The AFC South gets better and better. It's going to be a really good division. John McClain said that last night at the event at the Bell Tower. But you really think about it. Andrew Luck, Deshaun Watson, and you know where I am on Nick Foles. I've said it before. He's a backup disguised as a starter, but maybe that one extra win could come at Tennessee's expense. But you've got Pat Mahomes and you've got Drew Brees coming to your building this year, which is good. You don't want to play them in their building. If it's good, Well, it's not good to have to play them, but if you've got to play them, you want them in your building. But this is a quarterback's league. The way to win is to make a quarterback uncomfortable or to have an elite one of your own that can outduel the other side. And that's what we got to see this season for this team to be able to take another step. So I don't think it's polite out of Florida. You got both the guys out of Clemson, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins. People are comparing Wilkins to the skill set, at least to Fletcher Cox. Uh, that would play well in Nashville. Lawrence is not a guy that's going to total up a ton of sacks, but he's a really talented guy, really smart guy as well. Brian Burns out of Florida State, I believe, may have visited the team. Might be wrong about that, but I think the pass rush is what you address at 19. But John Robinson has surprised us in the past. 19's not necessarily going to get you an elite, paper, elite player on paper. But I go defense first, maybe offensive line a little later, probably a quarterback late in the draft to develop. It makes a lot of sense. Maybe a wide receiver later as well. What I do know about the draft is it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. This draft is not heavy on quarterback star power. The Arizona situation surrounding maybe Kyler Murray and what happens to Josh Rosen, that will be entertaining and intriguing. Somebody, folks, I'm on record, is going to end up with Josh Rosen, and that dude can play. I do not believe that last season with what surrounded and supported him in Arizona with the Cardinals is indicative uh, at all of what he's actually capable of. If he goes to the right situation, that dude could really, really be a, a, a standout potentially. But the Titans, for my prediction, knowing nothing more than you do, but simply positing the opinion that I'm paid to give is that they need to address that pass rush. Let's take one phone call before we get to break. Let's go to Jack. He's in Nashville tonight. Jack, what say you? Hey, so I think the Titans are in a great position with the draft. I think you could legitimately make a case for all 22 positions on the football field to get in the state. Even quarterback, unfortunately, with Marcus's situation, you could legitimately make a case that there, every single position would be some kind of a quote-unquote need, which is a great thing because then they're just drafting – BPA best player available. Uh, pass rush to me, I, obviously that that is a need. I just feel like it's too obvious, and I think JR's got a bunch of tricks up his sleeve. Um, and I just think they're in a great position, especially with four quarterbacks probably going to go in the top twenty twenty three picks. And I think they that could be a trade spot if that fourth with quarterback somebody could get up for that too. I'm going to drop you, Jack, just because you're kind of going out on me, but um. I will say this. I've got to comment on what you just said. I, I don't disagree with all of what you t- I don't think they need to address all 22 positions. I could, I mean, there, there's certainly a hierarchy of needs. This is not Maslow, but there is a hierarchy of needs in this situation. But the one about John Robinson has some tricks up his sleeve. I mean, this ain't a movie. It's not a TV show. Like at 19, he's going to take the need. When you said that's too obvious, right. That means it's a need. Like, it being obvious, it's not like he's not trying to swerve us. This isn't a pro wrestling angle. Vince Russo didn't write this thing. This is not an episode of Lost. Like when they get to 19, they're going to take what they need the most and what matches the team. 
So don't, he might be throwing some smoke screens or you might hear some things and I'll, I'll explain to you when we come back, maybe take that stuff with a grain of salt, but this ain't tricks. Like they're going to do what they need most. 615-737-1045. Back in a moment. Big six, 1045, the zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as part of my audience here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Little Amanda Shires. I feel like every time I say that, I should say it the way Jason Isbell, her husband, says it. Because every time I hear it said, it's like him introducing his band and she's part of his band when she's not doing her own thing. It's like, Amanda Shires. I feel like I should say it that way every single time. 615-737-1045. Told you... Titans Radio will be on Monday through Friday next week, so I will not be on. Here's where you can hear me, though. Sunday morning, 2 to 4 here on The Zone. 2 to 5 is my Fox Sports Radio show. I will have an Easter Sunday show this week, and I'll be able to talk about the draft for all the teams and all the things that are happening, so you can hear me there. Just another blessing that never expected to come, and and here it is. And I'm so appreciative of of everybody that has supported me along that journey and, and made it possible as well. I will have an Avengers Endgame review for you midweek, heading down to Atlanta for a screening of that on Tuesday afternoon, early afternoon, and we'll be writing that Tuesday night, so you'll be able to read that on Wednesday. Pop 6 is taking a couple of weeks off because of the NFL draft. We'll be back not next week, but the following week to finish up our Office podcast series. But you'll hear me around, and you'll also hear me for the first hour, at least, of Outkick to Coverage on Friday morning with Clay Travis as uh, we will be reacting to the first round of the NFL draft on Friday as well. So I want to talk about this Raiders thing. You know what NFL franchise executives are at this time of year? They are Jim Carrey in that one movie where he played a lawyer. You probably know the one I'm talking about, right? It's actually one that I know well because his son, or I should say the kid that played his son, works with me, was one of my associate producers on Fox, Justin Cooper. That movie where he's a lawyer... Uh, That movie's called Liar, Liar. So as a result, I'm not exactly sure what to make about this John Gruden, Mike Mayock, sending all the scouts home from a meeting because they couldn't trust him story. And I'm doing my absolute best here not to go straight up Dwayne Johnson and flash an eyebrow because this sounds so much like a television storyline to me. And what better franchise to do this? Because the Raiders are made of TV people, right? Here's Ian Rappaport's tweet from earlier. Sources, Raiders coach John Gruden and GM Mike Mayock sent their scouts home for the weekend and they are not expected to return by draft time. The belief is they don't know who to trust and wanted to clear the room. Like I said, this is a TV franchise more than a sports franchise. Who is the biggest diva in the NFL right now? Probably Antonio Brown, right? Definitely on the short list. I would say he made himself so with that fiasco that got him out of Pittsburgh and napalmed his teammates on the way out the door. He's still out here taking jealous shots at Juju Smith-Schuster on social media. I can't even imagine what's going to happen if Derek Carr stinks it up this year if the Raiders aren't winning, because I'm going to tell you what A.B. is not going to do. Here's what Mr. Big Chest is not going to do. He's not going to say, my bad, my fault, that's on me, because he's never done that before. But past A.B., who's running this show? And I'd re- I, that's it. That's what it is. I'd rather call the Raiders a show, like a series, 
rather than a sports franchise today. Look at the general manager. Mike Mayock had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but nothing really substantial on the field. But he's been a top draft analyst on TV for many years. He's great at it. He was also really good as Notre Dame's color analyst on NBC. He did some NFL wildcard games. He's a TV guy. I love listening to him on radio and on TV. And John Gruden, yeah, he's got a resume. I mean, dude won a Super Bowl. But he's more a celebrity than anything else to me. And watching his act on ESPN for the past several years has only pushed me further in that direction. He loves being the center of attention. So then, you know, you talk about, here's a term you might not know, showrunner. Showrunner is Vince Gilligan for Breaking Bad, or it's Matthew Weiner for Mad Men, or it's David Simon for The Wire, or it's David Chase for The Sopranos. I could continue to go, but you get the picture. It's the person making the decisions. It's the guy that's in charge of the writer's room, the creator, the one whose vision you're watching. Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof for Lost. Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada for The Leftovers. It keeps on going. So who is the showrunner for the Raiders? It has to be Chucky, right? Even with Mayock as GM. But this story itself, how, how outlandish is it really? How unprecedented is it really? If you research it a little bit, it's not really that strange. One thing that is abundantly clear this time of year is that these teams and these people are extremely paranoid to a degree that might actually just leave you stunned. Like paranoid where you live off the grid somewhere in Montana and somebody happens to drive by once a year or maybe you just find like a Nokia phone from 1999 somewhere in your large field on your like 12 acres that are out there and you immediately assume you're being watched. So everything that you're going to hear over the next week or so, next handful of days, I'm not even sure that I would take it with a full grain of salt. Have you ever tried to take a knife and cut a pill in half? Have you ever seen somebody do that? I'm not making a drug reference here. I'm talking about like sometimes you have to take half a pill. Sometimes a baby can't take a full pill. There are reasons for this. There are pill cutters out there. Try doing that with one granule of salt, and that might, might be fair this time of year with information from, quote, leaks, unquote, from teams with the NFL draft. Here's a great tweet from Mike Tanier, who does a really great job for Bleacher Report. NFL teams thrive on open communication between professionals with expert opinions. Now, everyone go home so you can't leak the decisions made by the inner circle of sleep-deprived paranoiacs. That's good stuff. And if you look through people that worked in the league, not journalists, but people actually in the league, and I heard Dave McGinnis earlier on 3HL say something similar to this. There is absolutely something to the too many cooks in the kitchen argument. It is never good to have too few voices. That's how you can become monolithic and you can become detached. Like if you're a CEO and you're listening to nobody, eventually that's going to cost you. If you are someone in charge of any organization and you have lost touch with the people underneath you, that is eventually going to cause a tremendous amount of problems. So you, you do need to have other voices in the room. You have to get advice. But you can also have way too many voices. I'm a guy who, if that restaurant is too loud, if I can't have a conversation with the people I'm at the table with, I don't want to be in that restaurant. And I think that that can be the same way that it goes in something like this. So I don't know if these scouts are going to end up coming back next week. Probably not. Maybe that inner circle is really small, and this is Mayock and Gruden, and there was a report that came out about an hour ago. It's like three other guys 
associated with the with the team and with the franchise that are part of this, personnel guys and things like that. But what we know is that these guys have a lot of picks to make. They got three real early picks in that first round. And they're probably going to do pretty well with them, honestly. And I'm just not going to let myself overreact to this story. It sounds dysfunctional, but it might not actually matter all that much, even in the short run, much less the long run. Provided they didn't just throw people out based on disagreements and they're just totally not going to listen to them. If it's just, okay, we don't need all these people and we're losing a bit of perspective as to who it is that we need to hear from. It's confusing our own process. This is actually hindering us. It's not benefiting us. We need to simplify this. All that makes sense. It would be more fun or more or better content, maybe, if it turned out to be more tabloid, but I kind of don't think it is. Also, though, I will say this. It is the Raiders, which means it might, might be a dumpster fire. And as a Denver Broncos fan, sort of hoping that this is the Oakland Raiders animated episode of Dysfunction Junction. What is your malfunction? See what I did there? We'll be right back. I got thoughts on Will Wade and some good stuff as well. Stick around. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the week here on The Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045. Try to join me, Ryan Mudd, behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. LSU reinstated Will Wade. That is an actual statement that I said. And that means that LSU has done what, unfortunately, a lot of universities have in this country through these recent years in particular. They're not the first. They won't be the last. But they're, at least to me, there is no excuse why a reputable college would have Will Wade as their basketball coach right now today. Because we know what he did wrong. He's on an FBI wiretap breaking NCAA rules, breaking NCAA violations clear as day. There is no wiggle room here. Zero. Based on the rules, Will Wade broke them. He cheated, he did so egregiously, and he's on tape doing it. It's not doctored. This is an FBI wiretap. Second off, F. King Alexander, the president of LSU, Joe Oliva, others at the university, they called Will Wade in. They wanted to talk to him. They wanted to just have a conversation with him. They wanted to go through everything. And what did Will Wade do? Will Wade said no. Will Wade refused. And I saw this written by a couple of people earlier today. In that moment, Will Wade broke the terms of his contract. This is an ugly word in our culture. This is one that it'll make you cringe. That word is insubordination. Broke his contract and was insubordinate to his employer. Whether he had anything to gain from that conversation was really irrelevant. He refused to communicate in any way with his employer. And that left them very little recourse. And it also left that team high and dry as the SEC tournament and NCAA tournament were beginning. Because to call him opaque would be being way too generous. There was nothing. There was no transparency. There was no translucency. You couldn't even make out the inkling of where Will Wade was behind this smokescreen. 
So why exactly is he back? Well, I think that answer is pretty simple. Unfortunately, he won games. And that's maybe the biggest one because everything else off that map, that flow chart, everything else emanates from that one truth that he won games. Because if he stunk at this job, we wouldn't be having this discussion because what ultimately happened here is that the LSU fan base and some of the alumni and probably people that put money into the program, the ones that were chanting fire Joe and free Will Wade at the tail end of the regular season, and the latter, the free Will Wade is just beyond the pale absurd. It's a bad look from every angle. But those fans, they won. Joe Oliva resigned this week, and that dates back. People haven't liked Joe Oliva since the Les Miles thing. Bringing him back, then let him go, and what happened with Coach O? This dates back to that. And if I'm Coach O right now, I'm a little bit concerned about my job because the guy that they brought in to replace him just made two huge splash hires for Texas A&M as he was responsible for bringing both Jimbo Fisher in out of Florida State and Buzz Williams just now after Virginia Tech lost the NCAA tournament. They brought them both to College Station, and now he's at LSU. But Will Wade broke the rules. And I said this when the story first broke. You may think college athletes and revenue-generating sports should be compensated, that they should be paid. I Look, I might even agree with you. But that's immaterial. Because until a rule is changed or it's blotted out, it's still something that's got to be followed. You may shrug your shoulders, but folks, people are going to jail like big boy jail, adult jail, uh, Andy Deframe jail for fraud, for federal corruption charges. They're going to jail inside shoe companies, inside AAU pipelines, agents, college programs, major, major programs. There's an Auburn assistant headed to do time right now. So Sean Miller at Arizona is on tape, clearly making it obvious Arizona's paying players. Will Wade is as well. But LSU then decides, now we're going to listen to our fan base that only cares about this story because Will Wade was winning games with a great recruiting class, at least one of which probably shouldn't have been playing in the NCAA tournament. So today in New York, a federal judge said that neither Sean Miller or Will Wade are going to have to testify in this bribery, this federal bribery case coming up. But Wade also has a separate federal proceeding where he could actually have to be He's going to have to address that wiretap. He may actually have to read that statement off a sheet of paper. I said that I didn't think he would ever come back to LSU when he was put on leave. He should have been fired then. I'm still not sure he's ever going to coach another game there. But for LSU in this case, this is feckless as a decision. And it raises a lot of questions as to what exactly matters most in Baton Rouge. But you know what? We already knew that answer. And this is not me going after LSU. This is what sports is. Whether it was Urban Meyer at Ohio State, whether or not it was Art Bryles at Baylor, whether or not it was what we saw at Maryland with DJ Durkin, whatever it is, winning is what matters most. And I get it, man. It's a business. Winning matters but this LSU deal and bringing Will Wade back right now under everything that he has underneath him, and it's not just a cloud of suspicion. It's an FBI wiretap. I could repeat that and spell out the word wiretap for you, but I think it already makes the point. This stinks to high heaven, man. This is a decision that feels just as unseemly and shaky 
as any other chicanery out there. It feels so wrong. This feels like straight up, I get to use my favorite word in the English language. It feels like skullduggery, folks. And it feels that way because that's exactly what it is. This is shadiness, and it's a misstep from a good university. I still, if I was putting, I would not put money on the idea that Will Wade is actually going to coach at LSU again. I can't imagine how that's going to happen. I know that the impetus seems to be pay college players. The majority of people still believe you should not, by the way, if you look at actual polls. Again, social media will say pay the players. Social media is the vast minority of this country. Thank goodness if you actually read social media that it's only about 14 to 15% of the populace that actually has it, utilizes it, and certainly actually engages in it. So I, you know, I don't know exactly how this is going to resolve itself, but we'll wait. There is no rational or even really irrational explanation as to why he's at LSU, except for the obvious one, and that's the W's. They won the SEC, at least until that gets changed. But they didn't make it past the Sweet 16, and he wasn't able to coach them. He shouldn't have been coaching them probably before that point. He certainly should not be employed there now. If he clears his name, he can go get a job somewhere else. I don't know how he clears his name here. If he has to testify in another proceeding, which I know he's going to have to, even though he escaped this one, I mean, if that information comes out, I heard Paul, Paul Feinbaum say this, and he's right. Like, if that information comes out and he has to, has to read that off a sheet of paper as part of a court transcript, that dude's done. Like, totally, totally done. All right, I'm not even going to play the music here on the way out, but I want to give you a couple of stats. The Jofa line, when all are out there, 27 scoring chances this series, nine are classified as high danger. That's high percentage. Zero goals when they're all out there. I anticipate that's going to change tomorrow. Pred stars tomorrow at 2. Go Preds. I've got them 3-1. to one. So Titans Radio will be on all next week. I will be off. They will do a great job. And I want to say something on the way out the door. It's Good Friday. Never before have I felt the love of my Lord and Savior more than I have over the past handful of months. I am so incredibly blessed. I'm unworthy of it. I'm undeserving of all of it. But I gratefully accept His grace and His favor. We're all flawed. We're all broken. And he makes us whole. We needed grace and we receive it for free. Know you're redeemed and know you're saved. Happy Easter. Enjoy our draft coverage next week. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good Friday.